Welcome to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center, a feminist, client-centered sexual and reproductive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. I'm your host, Abby Strout. On each show, we tackle a topic that impacts our sexual and reproductive health by inviting members of our community who work specifically on the subject. Reproductive Left covers a variety of issues, including, but certainly not limited to, reproductive rights, feminism, access to services, sexuality, gender, and relationships. To wrap up our show, we answer your sexual and reproductive health questions in our Ask Mabel segment. Be sure to stick around for it. Hello, and Happy New Year. I hope you all had relaxing holidays surrounded by people and things that you love. Now, if you're a longtime listener of Reproductive Left, then you've had a chance to hear from many of us at Mabel Wadsworth Center, our executive director, our founders, and our nurse practitioners. Today, we are switching things up so that you can hear from me. Andrea Irwin guest hosts today's episode to ask me about why I do this work and to give our listeners a chance to learn more about the different aspects of the center that I am engaged with. I do hope you enjoy it. So many of you listening have been uh, listening to Abby Strout for a couple of years now, and you might not know the extent of Abby's experience and skill set. So before we get started, I'm just going to share her bio. Abby Strout has worked at Mabel Wadsworth Center since 2010, and she became the Director of Education and Community Engagement in January 2015. She coordinates the Center's advocacy, outreach, and education programs, including the Mabel's Voices Project, a blog featuring women's personal abortion stories, and she started the Respect Maine Project that works on restoring Maine care funding for abortions. She formed and leads the Center's Advocacy Committee, which brings together women of all different ages, experiences, sexual orientation, and gender identities to advocate for reproductive rights. Past activities have included rallies uh, to protest, protest the Hobby Lobby decision in 2014 and in 2015, a rally to celebrate Women's Equality Day, which is the anniversary of women's suffrage, and many other events, such as annual condom week, Bangor Pride, film screenings, and other educational programs. She's been honored by statewide organizations for her work. She received the Spark Award from the Maine Women's Lobby in 2014, and I'm sitting in her office, and the award is up on her wall, so that's very nice to see. And the other award on her wall is the Achievement Award from AAUW of Maine, which she also received uh, earlier this year. And Abby earned her Bachelor of Arts degree in Sociology from the University of Maine. So, welcome, Abby. Thank you. Thanks for that nice introduction. Of course. How does it feel to be on the other side of the mic today? I have to be honest, it feels very weird, um, and I'm a little nervous, to be honest. (laughs) Well, you have so many fans, and I think that they will be really excited to hear a little bit more about you and what you do and why you do it. Well, I'm excited to talk about it. So my first question is, why did you start working in the area of women's health and focusing on abortion access? That's a really big question, Mm -hmm. but a good one. Um, So when I was in college, I 
was part of the Student Women's Association at the University of Maine, which is the feminist group um, on the campus. And I had the privilege of attending a conference called um, the CLIP Conference from Abortion Rights to Social Justice. And at that event, I went to an abortion speak out. And it was the first time in my life that I heard real women speaking openly about their abortions. Um, I had known that I wanted to do work in maybe sexual health or women's rights, but at that event, hearing women's stories and hearing the struggles and the barriers that they face to access their right um, really, really motivated me. It was also the time where I realized how common abortion was. Up to that point, I didn't really understand why it was such a big issue, why it was still in the forefront of conversations politically. I sort of thought it was a right that we we received in 73 and it's available for us. Um, and I thought maybe like one in a hundred women might need it. Mm. Um, so when I realized it's something that is really a common part of women's lives and the barriers that women have to face to access it, um, I said, came back and I asked Sharon Barker, who was one of the founders of Mabel Watherson, mm-hmm. and I said, I want to work in abortion rights, or I also said in abortion counseling, I didn't really know the language to use, and I said, how do I do that? And she said, get your foot in the door at Mabel Watzer Center, so. And six years later, here we are, <laughs> happily. So in addition to serving in your role as the Director of Education and Community Engagement, you do some abortion counseling. You work in the clinic once a week, at least once a week, to directly support women who are having an abortion. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what that experience is like for you? Yeah, that's a really important part of the work I, I get to do at the center, and I feel really honored to support women at that point in their lives um, and the choices that they're making. I really view it as... Um, consider myself in a way an abortion doula. I mm-hmm. did birth doula trainings when I was in college and then actually also um, since then. And supporting women through birth, through all their reproductive choices um, is really important to me. And I see that as an extension. Um, so I get to support them both physically and emotionally before and during and after their procedure. Um Sometimes we laugh a lot, sometimes there's tears, um, and mostly I I get to hold a lot of women's hands as they go through mm. sometimes a difficult time and sometimes um, just trying to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, hearing women's stories firsthand really does impact the way I do the community engagement and outreach work, and mm-hmm. I feel really lucky to be able to have that experience to really know what people's experiences are um, to share with the community, obviously without ever sharing mm, individuals. That's great. <laughs> well, that's, that brings up another question I have, which is, um, so you've probably seen and worked with, you know, hundreds of women having abortions in your six years here. If you could meet with President-elect Trump and Vice President-elect Pence, what would you tell them about the women that get abortions? Wow. Yeah. Um, I would tell them that they are incredibly diverse mm. um, and that it's, it impacts everybody. That it's um, 
your friends, your your family, that they're a, they're part of our all of our lives. Um, everyone's unique and individual, but also we share this common story of needing access to these services. Um, I'd say that they really don't know what's going on in individuals' lives, mm. and they can't pretend that they do. Um, and I'd say that they, everyone who I have, have met with has needed the service that we provide, mm-hmm. that it is so central to their um, lives and that we can't ever go back. Mm. Great. And you mentioned one of the things about the CLIP conference at the Abortion Speak Out that you found so moving was learning more about the barriers that women face. What are some of the barriers um, that our clients face here in our region seeking abortion? Um, the biggest barrier is is funding in our area. Um, and hearing women say to me, um, I don't know what we're going to have for dinner this week because their funds had to go to paying for their abortion. So in Maine, um, our public funding, our public insurance, Maine Cared, will not cover abortion. That's something that we're working to change, Mm -hmm. um, as most of our listeners are aware of. Um, But that is one of the biggest barriers. The other thing is transportation. Um, Mm -hmm. Mabel Wazer Center is the furthest north abortion provider. Um, So some of our clients travel up to three and a half hours one way. Right. Getting time off from work, childcare, those kind of things are the real big barriers. But then the other thing that we've found is that keeping it a secret from loved ones is a huge barrier, Mm -hmm. which goes back to stigma that um, it's really hard for many people to talk about their experience Additionally, a lot of women that see us are coming from really small towns mm-hmm. where they don't know who they can open up to. Um, and so trying to get to the center without being able to tell everyone in their lives is additional barrier. So that's why it's important to me that we do the stigma-reducing work mm-hmm. so that someday we could live in a world where it's something that's talked about openly and honestly, and it's just seen as a normal part of our reproductive lives, which it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really important. I agree. I feel like not only do we provide women that need abortion care, the actual procedure here, but a lot of the work we do in talking with them and, <clears throat> um, you know, just during the procedure before and after is just normalizing the experience for them. And I've had just a small amount of that exposure compared to what you've had, but it's it's always striking to me how many women just express that sense of relief and they don't feel judged here and they feel safe and that just feels so critical. So if you're just tuning in, this is Reproductive Left and I'm Andrea Irwin from Mabel Wadsworth Center and I'm guest hosting and today I'm interviewing Abby Strout, also of Mabel Wadsworth Center and your usual host on Reproductive Left. So, Abby, we were just talking a little bit about abortion stigma. Um, you also do a lot of work around sexual health and education. 
So you've done work in our community to promote healthy sexuality and to provide information and education about birth control, safer sex, um, and consent to students, varying in age from middle school through college. What would you tell a parent who's anxious about having a conversation with their teen son or daughter about sex? Um, I think the first thing is that that's normal. Mm -hmm. It's normal to be nervous about it. And the other thing is that it's not a one-time conversation. You don't just have one conversation and then, you know, you've had the sex talk. Right. It's something that happens over time. Um, And... I'm always supportive of people having conversations with their friends, just supporting each other through having those. Because we were raised to feel a lot of shame around sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is important for us to kind of gain some comfort around the subject to be able to then have really um, open conversations with young adults in our lives. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but also if you mess up, it's okay. You can go back and talk with them about it. You know, it's not, you, if you say one wrong thing, you're not going to ruin your kid's life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and just again, that being nervous about around these topics is totally normal. So just kind of have fun with it. Give, give yourself some space. Um, and you can always reach out to, us um, and other groups that could answer questions around how to talk to your kids about sex. Great. Thank you. I'm sure a lot of people will feel relieved having heard that. Okay, so now I'm going to turn to the work that you've done to really deepen the center's engagement in the local LGBTQ community. We've always been um, a safe space for lesbians and, and done a lot of work on that, but now we've really broadened our reach and we serve trans clients, as some of your listeners might know. Um, What could a transgender person who's looking to get hormone therapy expect if they call the center for the first time? Um, The first thing is they can expect expect respect Mm -hmm. um, from our front desk staff to all the clinicians that they will see. Um, Really respect and honor their gender, um, believe their gender, and will provide excellent health care. If we can't provide the care they need here, we'll make referrals to help navigate the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really important to us. We're always open to suggestions and open to making our clinic more welcoming and inclusive. Um, because we want to be sure that everybody feels welcome here. So you just gave me a very good natural segue into one of the topics I wanted to turn to. Uh, as you know, the center has a big announcement for our reproductive le- left Excuse me, listeners today. Would you like to share it? I was wondering who was going to get to share <laughs> the news. Um, I, I would love to. Um, so we have a new name. And a new mission. Our new name is not that different. You, mm-hmm. I think it will sound very familiar to all of our listeners, which is Mabel Wadsworth Center. Mm-hmm. And we made that decision to be really clear that everybody's welcome at our center, um, that we 
we do serve the transgender community now, um, providing health care, and we want to be sure that everyone feels welcome in our in our community. Mm-hmm. And part of that is that this year we started seeing men for STI testing and treatment. And I think in addition, just looking at the ways that our community already communicates about the center, for staff, a lot of us will just shorthand and say Mabel Wadsworth Center. So we're hoping this won't be too too big of a change for people to react to. Yeah, I was thinking our listeners have heard me say Mabel Wadsworth Center probably many times because I shorten it mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um, so now it's officially shortened. Exactly. (laughs) And in addition to the new name and revised mission, which you mentioned, what are some of the other changes people can expect to see this new year? Well, we have a new and improved, beautiful website. And I would encourage listeners to check it out. Um, You can find past episodes of Reproductive Left right on the site. That's exciting. Um, And actually, today is when it has gone live so we're really excited to have our reproductive left listeners be some of the first folks informed about our new site absolutely and you're the person that really coordinates the website and our social media uh what are you other than reproductive left being available what are you most excited about with the new website um, I'm excited, you know, I do the, a lot of the education and engaging folks and so much of engaging our community these days is online. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm excited for the new platform where we have our Mabel's Voices project, we have Reproductive Left, and we, we just have another place to offer the community educational support. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got a new look and... Um, we have some amazing volunteers help support us in making our new website possible. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really exciting, and it really highlights the way Mabel Wadsworth Center is today. It has people that are models that are involved in the center, their clients, their volunteers, their staff, and it features a nice updated look that will attract people of all ages. Turning back to advocacy, uh, as I mentioned in your bio, one of your roles here is to lead the Center's Advocacy Committee. Can you tell us more about that group and what you're working on right now? Yeah, the group is made up of volunteers, staff, interns, um, and we've been kicking it for (laughs) six years maybe, Mm -hmm. five years. Uh, We organize different events, as you mentioned, at the beginning, so things like the Hobby Lobby protest that we did, um, educational events. We do an event every year around Roe v. Wade, which mm-hmm. there will be information on our website about. Um, and it's additionally a place for people to gather and talk about issues that are impacting our community. Mm-hmm. So it, I also think of it as a feminist committee mm-hmm. where we get to really explore our feminist values and think about ways that we can engage in our community to bring that message to the broader world. Mm-hmm. Um, so we meet once a month and more often if we have big events coming up, if people are interested in that kind of engagement, um, they can email me, educate at mabelwadsworth.org. Uh, and it's going to be we're going to be doing a lot in the coming years. Mm-hmm. We really 
don't know what to expect in this next administration. We know a little bit of what it's like because we've had um, Governor LePage in Maine. Mm, but yes, we, sadly, we're prepared in some ways. But we, so we are ready to take on whatever we need to do as a committee moving forward. If that's like writing letters to the editor, contacting our legislators, or hosting demonstrations in our community that gets word out about really important issues. Great. And you mentioned demonstrations. Are you planning to attend the Women's March on Washington? I think so. I, um, I'm going to attend a march. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, they're happening in a lot of communities. There's a march on Maine. There's one in Boston, New York, Washington, um, probably, probably more on the East Coast that I'm forgetting. But um, I think my mom and I are going to make it down to D.C. to participate in the the big march on Washington. Mm. And so your mom is, it sounds like, an influence on your development as an advocate and feminist. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I was, the, I was raised by feminists. Um, my aunts are all, and my family have always really supported the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um I remember as a kid, our one of our favorite games was this game called card game called Great Women, and it oh, was that's so much better than Old Maid. <laughs> that's what we had, <laughs> and it was like a matching game. I can't remember, but on each card, it had the history of these different really important women in our um, in U.S. history. So that kind of started my feminist. Uh, education. And I just want to say that I feel really lucky to have the support in my family. Um, My parents attend a lot of, come up and attend events and Mm -hmm. um, are supporters. And I I know not everybody has that support and it's important to me. Mm, Definitely. So you also, of course, started this podcast, Reproductive Left, which has been a great asset to the center. And I think many community members would agree. Do you have a favorite episode since 2014 when you started? Ooh, that's a hard question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, know, I just want to remind you, you've done several with me. <laughs> uh, it, I was just thinking we're going into our third year of reproductive yeah. life, and it's, it's been an honor to, to host these. Um, I'm going to say no, I don't have a favorite, but I'll tell you about my <laughs> You're favorite so topic. Okay, that's good. Um, I love talking about abortion stigma, mm-hmm. about access. So, talking about um, what's happening across the country. Mm-hmm. I really love talking about sexuality education and. Um, and the child-free community. Mm, so those are one. some of the f- my favorite topics. But obviously, I like being able to provide a wide range of topics on our show and um, have had a lot of fun with our different guests. Yeah, that's a good answer. And if you could have any guest in the whole world be on Reproductive Left, who would be your dream interview? Oh, you know, um, maybe I would... I would be interested in Shonda Rhimes, who um, writes Grey's Anatomy, uh, All the Shondaland, (laughs) How to Get Away with Murder. Yes. Um, Because she has more than once talked about 
had a storyline around abortion on her show. Mm-hmm. And I would love to discuss deeper with her why she made that decision and what uh, what went into her decision on how to how to show it. Um, what podcast do you listen to? My favorite, favorite podcast is called Death, Sex, and Money. Mm. Hosted NPR? by... Anna Sale, Anna Sale. I think it's on WNYC. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, you, we talked a little bit earlier about um, you know the election and the challenges and opportunities that will bring. And you also mentioned a way that people can get involved is to join the advocacy committee, and they can email you to learn more. Uh, as you know, we've been hearing from a lot of different people that want to get involved now. What other ways do we have here at the center that people can contribute their time and energy and skills? Um, There's a lot of ways to get involved, from volunteering in clinic to um, attending events Mm -hmm. to getting involved in our advocacy committee. So the level of engagement that you're interested in, um, we have that opportunity for you, whether it's once a week or once a year. Um, but I do encourage coming out to events um, mm-hmm. and then also joining our email list so which you can get right on our website, MabelWadsworth.org, um, because that will keep you informed of when to take action, mm-hmm. um, what we have coming up. That's a great like first step on getting involved. And then beyond that, um, we really depend on our volunteers, mm-hmm. and as we've talked today, we do a lot of different things, from mm-hmm. advocacy to organizing events to education in the community around sexual health to clinical services, um, and then also we have to keep our nonprofit functioning, which takes a whole nother level of <laughs> work. Mm-hmm. So... We're, like, there's so many different ways to get involved depending on your interest, and we would love to connect you to the right part of our organization. That's really helpful. Thank you. And I realize now that I neglected to mention that you got started with the center as a volunteer joining the board. I did. That. Um, that's how, when Sharon said, get your foot in the door, I saw a t- they, Mabel's was tabling at an event, and they were looking for board members, and I was like, I have no idea what it means to be on a board, but that's my foot in the door. And I was on the board for a year before the position that I got. Yeah, and it worked out really well. And this has been such a great conversation, Abby. I want to end on a highlight to ask what aspect of your work are you most proud of? Working with volunteers and our community is something that... Uh, just really fills my heart. Um, I've been working on updating the website and moving all of the episodes of Reproductive Left onto our new site and all of our stories on um, Mabel's Voices and have just been going kind of through the past and seeing how many people we've engaged who've been willing to share really intimate parts Mm -hmm. of their lives with us and kind of take us... You know, be being really bold and making mm-hmm. a stand on these issues, and um, I'm so grateful to be able to work with them, and um, I'm excited to continue. Well, I'm glad for that. I'm very grateful for that. Um, 
It's been a pleasure having this conversation, and it's my pleasure to get to work with you every day. It's one of the best parts of my job here. So thank you. Uh, For those of you who are listening, this is Reproductive Left. I'm Andrea Irwin, and this concludes our interview with host Abby Strout. Happy New Year. That's it for today. Andrea and I chatted a bit too long, so there wasn't time for Ask Mabel, but please send us your questions for the next show. Simply go to the Contact Us page at MabelWadsworth.org. And thank you for tuning in. If you want to listen to past episodes of Reproductive Left, you can find us on WERU.org in the archives, at MabelWadsworth.org, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, or through whatever podcast app you use. Thank you for listening to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by WERU and Mabel Wadsworth Center. I am Abby Strout. Please tune in next time, the first Tuesday of the month at 4.30, right here at Community Radio WERU, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and online at WERU.org.